how do you want to learn how to do this and how to succeed in business? Do you want to go and learn the theory of it or do you want to do it in practice? Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision? We will always have enough cash around. Strictly business. Hi, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I get to speak with finance leaders building all kinds of wonderful companies worldwide. In this episode, I spoke with Rebecca Coxshaw, Head of Finance and Operations at Moju. Moju is a London-based functional drinks company delivering potent, nutrient-dense products including ginger, turmeric, and prebiotic shots all over the UK. What began with two friends in a Volkswagen is now a growing team of more than 25, on target to sell over 10 million shots in 2021, more than 60% year-over-year growth. We talked about that growth, about Rebecca's previous roles at Red Bull, Apple, and Sunseeker, what drew her from these giants into the startup world, and the importance of educating business teams about finance. As always, the show is brought to you by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Rebecca Coxshaw, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hello. Good afternoon, I think it is, yeah. <laughs> And as is customary, I'd love to have you just introduce yourself to our CFO Year audience. So, hi, yes, uh, my name's Rebecca, is my formal name, but everyone calls me Bex. Um, I currently head up the finance and operations team at Moju, which is a UK functional drinks company. Um, we're a, an omni-channel brand creating and selling uh potent and nutrient dense uh, functional shots in the UK and actually just recently now into Iceland so world domination is coming yes Iceland is sort of known for being very um functional I guess but very mm. sportive yeah um, yeah Oh, cool. Already, oh, yeah, so we've already seen uh, some of the sort of CrossFit community, which obviously the Vikings over in Iceland are extremely good at that. Uh, so, yeah, we've got um, some exciting plans ahead for that, but been a fantastic effort from, from all the team, really, you know, sales, marketing, finance and ops, just getting that executed. So it's super exciting to see it come to life now. Yeah. Fantastic. We'll go a bit more into Moju shortly, but I'd love to know more about your journey to this role and I guess your journey to finance in general. Yep, sure. Um, so <laughs> my journey into finance w was a very quick one, I think. Uh, I was actually due to study law at university and then missed out by a grade. Um, so in my desperation of saying, it's okay, I'm still going to uni, um, I chose finance in about 10 minutes and then was on the course. And then here I am, however many years later, uh, working in finance. Um, I think, so yes, yeah, so I studied finance, came out of university went skiing for a year had a lot of fun in the mountains which was good um and then came back and realized i needed to find a job so uh 
found a job in finance which was the best job I think anyone could ever wish for when they first start which was working at a super yacht company um, dealing with very high net worth individuals and understanding what they want to do with their money and how they want to play and spend their money on fun toys really expensive fun toys which was great um so yeah I worked worked at a company called Sunseeker which manufacture super yachts uh, well yeah we call them super yachts um and was there for a number of years doing you know sort of general finance work working with my finance director sitting sort of in between the finance director sales director and managing director and just hearing all of the conversations going on which was fantastic um then managed to wedge myself into Apple in a very um, exciting and intense role where I was revenue forecasting for all of EMEA, the only revenue forecaster in Apple, which is strange for all of those millions of billions of pounds that they were. I was forecasting. I was the only one. Um, and then did a couple of roles in Apple, always looking at sort of revenue analytics and demand analytics. Um loved loved learning analysis and getting stuck in with um with the numbers side of things I was you know surrounded by people that were a lot better than me which was fab because you can learn loads you know the learning curve's really steep but I certainly enjoyed that environment um I then moved into Red Bull in a commercial finance role um I love I suppose the thing with finance and me I love tangible products and I, I'm never going to be an investment banker because to me it doesn't make sense. I'm like, I need to touch it and feel it and understand what the value is of that um, product. So I suppose all of the roles that I've had have always been in different products to understand that consumer and actually try and find ways of optimising finance so that we as a business can grow, you know, through margin, through reinvestment, but then also understand how that translates into brand equity for the business as a whole and how finance actually influences and supports that. Um, yeah, so 10 minute decision. Here I am 10, 12, however many years later now working as a head of finance and ops. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's um, normal or abnormal for a finance leader to really be so um, invested or so keen on the physical product itself or, or, or any product I suppose but so product focused um, I don't think you have to be I think there are different types of individuals that can be excellent at finance for different reasons um, there's a there's a dark and a light side to finance in 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 any role one is that you have to be the controller at times which means you have to say no but two there's the I'm actually shining a light or we as a team are shining the light on things that can help us grow further so so as an individual I think you can have some depending on what type of industry you're in you can have some who aren't bothered about the product but they're really good at doing that dark and light side or you can have people that are really interested in the product and that's certainly me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to work somewhere that I wasn't, um, you know, really passionate about what I was doing with my time. Um, and then it, that allows me to bring my passion to absolutely everything that I'm doing. Um, and it allows me to work really hard at it, really, because I don't think as an individual I wouldn't 
be able to really work my you know boots off if I didn't love what I was talking about yeah mm. well what makes you passionate about functional uh, drinks and shots <laughs> yeah um so I when I was working at Red Bull, Red Bull had always been a bit of a mecca for me in terms of wanting to work there because of the fantastic brand and also the sports and things that they were doing. So I've, as I mentioned, I love mountain sports, you know, skiing, snowboarding, being outdoors in general in nature is, is the best thing I can do with my time. Um, and so getting into Red Bull was like, woo, this is fab. Um, and then you know, you experience the brand and the company itself and it's fantastic what they do to develop individuals. Um, but my number one drink isn't Red Bull. And then mm. I am very much into, you know, good food, natural and vegetarian. So um, always thinking about the natural side of things first. And I was approached by Moju. I had actually been drinking them because um, I used to have very bad skin and I started drinking green juices, making them myself um, and went down that sort of rabbit hole. And I, I love that world of what you actually put in helps your, your skin and your body and how you can improve your sort of um, health through what you're putting in. And so I was approached by Moju and I was like, no, I'm not, not interested. And then they were like, why don't you come and meet the guys? So the, the founders there and then obviously understood more about the brand, understood what they wanted to do with how they were growing it. And everything clicked and it's it's fab. You know, the, the products are so potent and strong. Like, I love them. I'm, a, I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of gal. So the product itself marries with what I want it to do for me and also what it does for other people. Um, and then, yeah, just working with the guys and understanding what they their ideas for where they wanted the business to go and the brand, It yeah, it got me really excited. So I said yes. Yeah. And here I am two years later. Think you have company cash under control? You may have a process to pay people back, but company spending is so much more than expense claims. Spendesk gives you one system to replace your old-fashioned company cards, track online payments easily, and process supplier invoices faster than ever. Whether you're a growing startup or you've been doing this for decades, it's never too late to upgrade. Graduate from basic expenses to spend management today. Try Spendesk. You've moved from two obviously enormous multinational uh, consumer brands to clearly a much smaller company. Was that... A good, I mean, were you happy with that? Obviously, you're happy with that decision now, but was that part of the decision? Was that maybe something that was holding you back at the time from making it? How did that factor in? Yeah, I mean, I had always wanted to go and work at a startup or a scale-up, but it was always on my sort of goals to, to go and do. And I think I had been very conscious about moving to these companies that would arm me I call it arming or tool me up with mm. skills and things which I could then you know move on with and develop elsewhere um I was actually due to do an MBA as I was approached by as I started chatting to the guys at Moju and I had my place set up I was going to go and do that and then started chatting to the guys and it sort of clicked a few things where I was like oh okay 
this com I really believe where this company's going to go. I really believe in the team that I'd met um, and what they wanted to achieve. And kind of the, the question was, do I go and do an MBA whilst working at um, Red Bull um, to allow me to do X, Y, Z later on in my career? Or do I go and learn it boots on the ground in a high growth company where it's really risky, but it's probably the best time for me to do that um, as, you know, as an individual, as a as a career choice kind of thing. For me now, I was really ready to get stuck in with that type of um, company. Um, that being said, I never I didn't know that six months into role, we would have a global pandemic. And, you know, the the risk factor went extremely high in a, in a you know, a, in an equity funded business where, um, it, you know, not only scale up, but leaving my comfortable position in a in a really, really well respected, really successful brand to go and move into a smaller, quite high risk company where I was going to be working hard, but I was passionate about it. Then you layer on the global pandemic and what that does to business and kind of leadership, what decisions you have to make and things like that. It was it's certainly been a learning curve, but I've loved it absolutely every minute. Well, what's what specifically were the sort of learning curves that you had to yeah had to overcome? Yeah. Um, so all of my roles previously have always been commercial finance. So really just spending all the time with the P&L. And never have I done, um, never have I been worried about cash flow. <laughs> In every company that I've had before, cash flow has always been extremely strong. So suddenly I move into a role where I'm in an equity funded business. I haven't done a funding round before or been part of it. We know one's coming up. I'm then also responsible for the whole range of finance. When I joined, there was, I was the first full time finance employee. Um, so the expectations and the deliverables really change from everything I had experienced or had experience of before. Um, so you go down to the minutiae in some things, but then you're really high up in the strategic things in others. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was very, very kind of juggling all the balls was very, very difficult at times. Um, but it, again, it's that it's that how do you want to learn how to do this and how to succeed in business? Do you want to go and learn the theory of it or do you want to do it in practice? And what I was doing is doing it in practice with the team and obviously educating, learning with the other guys in the team, you know, the leaders, the other guys that had come in and had left their, you know, relatively comfortable positions in other big businesses. And we were all in it together. And you think, oh, OK, it's been fantastic. As hard as it has been at times, everyone has clubbed together and it's that I don't want I don't want to say the word ironic. I'm not sure it's the cliche. That's it mm. of um we're stronger because of what we've all been through and it's going to be so good after not only individually have we become stronger but as a team so afterwards you know when we're all finally allowed to be back together in real life comfortably it's it's this shared experience that's going to make us yeah really really strong and you must have i imagine a greater sense of ownership over the direction of the company yes yeah i think um it was it was a uh, a, it was a lesson I learnt in Apple when I moved from Sunseeker to Apple, where suddenly I was in, I was a very, very small cog in a very big wheel and balancing off the, okay, I'm working really hard. I'm working long hours. Wh where's my, where's my input? Where's my impact? Sorry. Um, sort of being seen. 
that it took a little while for me to register but i think when you're in a big business you you as long as you're delivering value your input is felt and your impact is felt sorry um so so mentally as long as you're sort of um controlling your controllables and you know providing insights of the area that you're responsible for the impact is felt but definitely in, for me as an individual i feel more impactful in this role because i'm making more decisions that actually have um have you know weight and they definitely change the direction in certain things and it's being part of that team that makes those decisions is is very fulfilling for me i really enjoy it and also coupled with the fact that when i was in the bigger when i was in apple i was in a much more junior role so so it's you know it's it's swings and roundabouts really but definitely i feel I love my time at Moju so far. It's been great, yeah. Is it ever, do you ever see the other side of that though where occasionally when the work's piling up and there are real problems to solve, you sort of just wish, ah, I, I really just wish someone would tell me what to do and, and <laughs> yes. you know, I wish my, my nine to five was, de was uh, designed for me and I could just mm. execute rather than having to be part of this, the strategy all the time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I would... I describe it as the comfort blanket. You don't have it anymore. Nobody has the comfort blanket. Um, and, you know, that that's all of us at times because as when you're in a small company and you have big growth goals, you can't be um, holding people's hands. We're very much, we're, you know, we're values-led, but it's about making decisions and it doesn't matter if they fail, it's what have you learned from it. So you know, making sure I as an individual am doing that, showing people how I'm doing it and encouraging others to do it um, and showing them that it's okay. You know, all of us as a leadership team are doing that and then the team are doing it, but it's a it's a cultural thing that you have to mm. show, illustrate. But I would be lying if I turned around and said, oh yeah, it's been, it's been great where I don't know what I'm doing and I'm sitting here, especially when you're on your own in a pandemic as well. You don't even have the camaraderie of your your peers kind of thing and your friends and your um team in the office you know you're you're in your little room like this and then um you're on your own so you just have to really go for it and ask as many people as possible the the strength of your network and just how important having a network is is has really really um made itself very apparent to me yeah has the finance team grown since you've been there Yes, yes. So we're now, as of a month ago, we're a team of three or in the finance sort of pillar. Um, so I've just hired a fantastic financial controller um, who's come in from practice, who has, you know, she's extremely knowledgeable on the technical side of things. Mm. Um, and we have a full time finance executive as well. He um, has come up through an apprenticeship scheme which is fantastic. So has really learned on the ground and is very, very proactive. So yeah, we've got a very strong finance team now, which is fab, as well as the upside of things. Um, the team since COVID hit, the team's grown from, I think we started at 16, 14, and now we're at 24 okay. in, the, in the last year, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And your role as head of finance and operations, what does that yes. mean on a kind of day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week level? Yeah, so um, I mean, now I'm transferring more of the sort of day-to-day -day 
um, stuff to the finance controller, but it has been everything and anything from, um, you know, reconciling systems, um, making sure, because we're very focused on ensuring that we use many tech platforms. We're not manually processing anything, anything Mm. that can be automated, we do that. Um, but you have things like API breaking and thing and having to fix that type of thing, as well as educate, because me at the time being the only full-time experienced finance person, I was doing a lot of, you know, finance coaching um, to the rest of the team. Um, and then also, you know, creating all of the uh, management information, shareholder packs, investment packs um, from a finance perspective, you know, to bolt on to the strategy and the commercial stuff, which the other execs and co-founders are providing. Um, so it's, yeah, very varied from a finance perspective. Um, now I'm transferring a lot of the, you know, the management information to the financial controller and she'll be, you know, taking over that type of thing as well as, you know, the governance and things. And I'll be able to come more up to that kind of long-term view with um, what we're doing in finance to make sure that, you know, things like our corporate structures, our capital structure, sorry, is um is you know evolving in the right way that we want it to kind of thing um and then on an operations side of things um we have we've got an ops team which is very strong and it's bigger than the finance side of things so from an ops perspective it's always been much more oversight with the team you know experienced in how they're doing that i have whereas the finance side of things has been more nuts and bolts but it's growing now to be able to be more strategic at, at the time or spend more of my time being more strategic because we've got the strength in our new financial controller coming in. Was that complicated to come to terms with that ops side, which I imagine in your case means producing juices and shots, bottling, mm-hmm. delivery? Mm. So we, well, from an ops perspective, we actually um, co-manufacture with a company in Europe um, who are specialists in the manufacturing. So as a business, we create our recipes and work with the manufacturer to then produce that. So we do all of our packaging, branding, you know, everything from that perspective and the recipes. And then there's a manufacturer that actually creates the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very collaborative. Um and then from an ops side of things on UK soil, um, we are omni-channel. So we have an e-commerce channel, which, um, you know, is is something that I hadn't dealt with before, I managed before. Um, so there's a lot of time spent um, working with the customer service team on the marketing side of things, making sure that um, we are fulfilling all of the e-commerce side with our partner there perfectly and looking at, you know, packaging, what we can do to optimize um, send outs, you know, volume tiering, hitting certain thresholds, renegotiating um, contracts with our with our suppliers. Um, and then we're, our B2B side of the business in operations is really working with, you know, the big players to make sure we're on time in full, you know, we're demand forecasting correctly, we're not out of stock anywhere and we're really creating really strong relationships with those supply chain counterparts. Yeah. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs and a one-on-one member matching program. 
CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. Well, you mentioned earlier fundraising, and that was obviously that that happened not too long after you joined the company. Is that right? Yeah. Well, so um, I joined in June, July of 2019, and we closed a funding round in February of 2020. So that was round one, or round one for me, my involvement. Mm-hmm. And then we also did another one that closed in March this year. Yeah. Oh right. How maybe how were those two? processes obviously the first one i imagine would have been pretty intense for you <laughs> as your first one yes um yeah i mean so our co-founder the, the co-founders we have ceo and and chief revenue officer mm-hmm. um the ceo is is the real point of contact on the fundraising side of things um he's an exceptional uh, relationship builder and has and and has been you know talking to many individuals for a, over a long period of time you know before moju was was a thing and then during the whole of their the growth journey so far um so when I joined, um, it was only angel investors, 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 yeah. Um, and so the first round that we did was again only angel investors, again mostly going back to our existing base, really. Um, and then the second round, which we started in, I want to say, when we say started, obviously it had been going on for a long time with in terms of relationships and talking to different people. Um, from a CEO, from the CEO's perspective, um, but when we started crunching numbers and starting to create the kind of deck and things like that that we were going to go out with, that probably started in September of 2020, um, and then it came to a sort of culmination just past Christmas, where the due diligence really kicks in, um, which was a, a different kettle of fish, um, and then yeah, closed end of february yeah all signed sealed delivered then so it's, it takes quite a long time but i suppose the crank work of the number crunching and the creation of the information to share with potential investors took about three months you know two to three months and finished in the sort of october time in 2019 2020 sorry yeah and was that something you enjoyed or do enjoy in general um I enjoy I enjoy seeing the story come to life and then when you see the inputs pull the picture together um I enjoy that and then you get excited about what we're going to do how we're going to do this how do we put the pieces together to do it um I won't say that the sort of the fast turnarounds the can we do something else can we do this how are we going to you know spin 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 not in a just to make sure that the picture is watertight that we want to present. Um, that's not always that fun, but um, I certainly learnt at Apple that you set your Excel up to be completely future-proof. Right. So it's quick, quick, quick. You know, uh, there's no way that you could be doing that type of thing with kind of rudimentary Excel skills. You've got to be pretty good at handling that type of thing, um, which of which there were two of us that could do it. So between myself and one of the guys in the sales team, we created, you know, some some great information that we could share with potential invest- investors. Um, so yeah, it was a 
it was fun, but not every single minute of the day was fun. <laughs> I think that I, I asked that question a lot and I think the common response seems to be it's fun if you're fundraising on your own terms and it's awful mm. if you're fundraising because you're desperate. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So this was, I suppose, yeah, for, for me as an individual, my experience of a cash run rate, ca cash flow runway was mm you know, non-existent in my previous companies because we all know Apple's got the most money in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, Red Bull, extremely strong, private company, um, and similarly with, with uh, Sunseeker. So when you're in this type of business, you know, as an individual, I start to get a bit twitchy at times, but my role is to shine a light and say, hey, guys, this is what's coming up. If we pull these levers, we can do X, Y, Z. Mm. But it's it's really to shine a light and provide guidance on what we could do. And then we make that decision together. Um, now, I had utter belief in us as a business and the CEO in us being able to do it. But as that cash flow runway, you know, gets smaller and smaller, mm you do start to, as an individual, think, okay, we're all right, we're all right, we're all right, it's fine, but absolutely fine, you know, the, it, it all, it all, we did all of the work that we should have done, and we were absolutely fine, yeah. Fantastic. You mentioned earlier risk factor, and when you joined the company, the risk factor went up compared with, I guess for you personally, compared with yeah. um, previous roles. I wonder just generally, are you someone who thinks... This may be an impossible question to answer. Do you think more about risk or about growth in growth. your role? Yeah, growth. Definitely. Um, yeah, like I, I, as a, I called myself an all or nothing type of person earlier. And then the other way I've been described is you really like to drop yourself in at the deep end and fight your way out, don't you? And that, yeah, like I whether it was because of childhood experience and growing up with an older brother and always wanting to be part of that, you know, type of thing that I much prefer going and doing. And I think learning, I learn by experience. So I want to put myself in these situations where it's sink or swim, because as hard as it will be, I know I will be able to swim. It's just about how fast you get there. Um, so as yeah, I think it's and and everyone is capable of learning anything. Um, in my mind, I think it's as long as you're learning the stuff that you're interested in, you'll get there faster. Um, so it's just about then the context that you put yourself in, whether that's being surrounded by fantastic individuals, which is the dream that you can learn from, or you have your comfort blanket removed and you've got to find your way out. Mm. Um, so yeah, I I definitely fall into the I want to grow as much as I can so I'm going to find the circumstances or environments that allow me to do that mm. do you think that's the same for the company in general are they are they yes. looking to you to so they're looking to you to help grow rather than to um avoid risk yeah um well so as a as my role in the company is to make us as strong as possible so that we're able to invest in the things that we want to invest in at the right time to allow us to grow. So you've got the, you've got the balance there where you need to be m mitigating risk or, you know, 
whether it's transferring or limiting, you know, however you want to self set yourself up, but it's so that we can invest for growth at the right time. That's that we've identified as our growth strategy. Yeah. Mm. You mentioned earlier that one of the first responsibilities you had was education for the, for the rest mm -hmm. of the company. What did that look like? It was, it was, uh, what is a P&L really? Mm. What is, you know, the sales team know they, they are, they're responsible for forecasting the P&L and kind of what we can get to. But in my mind, every single person in the business, in any business should know how they are impacting the P&L because they will be, if their role is a, you know, a, a warranted role, mm. hopefully no business carries unwarranted roles for anything. But um, that individual, no matter if you're in sales, marketing, finance, ops, you know, whatever department you're in, you should understand how you're impacting the P&L because that enables you to really drive growth wherever you are and know your, know your value, but also your output. Like, you know that your work is valuable because you're delivering growth for the P&L and the company, which means that company can reinvest in you, the products, and the rest of the, you know, the rest of the strategy really that you want to go after. So I've always been very, very enthusiastic about educating people on, on, you know, what a P&L is, how, what it is, you know, people should have financial literacy because, you know, we don't learn about pensions in, in, in school or anything like that. And I think it's, it's, it's very, it's very easy to find finance scary, I think for some people, but it's not you all every single person in a business has the potential to impact it and does impact it so it's just about saying it in the right way um and i think i'm i'm probably i'm i'm a i don't want to say i'm a non-finance finance person so i speak in non-finance terms really so it's quite easy for me to share knowledge with non-financial people and make it more bite-sized um, and that's definitely what I have always wanted to and will always want to do in, in any company that I'm in. Um, but it's just much easier when you're in a smaller one because mm. the team, you're, if you're the only one in finance, the team need to come to you or you need to go to the team to share those things in the right engaging way because you don't want to be the, um, yeah, you have to do it in the right right tone, right level of information because mm. it, it can become overwhelming. There is a lot there. And do you have specific routines for that? We, um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a, as a business, we have, um, we share videos on financial performance. Everybody is actually empowered to go and investigate the P&L. We publish our, um, we publish the results internally on Tableau mm -hmm. um, and everyone can go in and, and investigate and see how we're tracking versus budget and last year and things like that. Um, obviously, there are some bits of information which are which are removed because you know sensitive information. But we're very very open book um, and want to make sure that everybody does understand our performance as a business and how they're how they're impacting it. Yeah. Cool. All right, I think it's time to turn now to our quick fire questions that we like oh, okay. to end every podcast with. As I say, every single time, you don't actually have to answer them quickly. Um, they're just five questions and, yeah. and we do them every time. So the first, what is one finance tool you couldn't live without? And please don't say Excel. 
Because <laughs> yeah. everybody says Excel. Um, I know. I've listened to the podcast and everyone's like, Excel, Excel. And I'm, you know, I can't say that Excel isn't my best friend because it is. Of course. Um, but um, one thing that has wildly improved uh, my working um, whilst being at Moju is automatic banking. So internet banking mm-hmm. is fantastic if you get it right. So we've recently transferred to using TransferWise, right. which means you can consolidate all of your banking in one payment and you hit one button and it goes off to all your suppliers. And once you've paid someone once, you never have to enter those you know, bank details again. It's all done because I don't want my finance executive spending time punching in numbers. It should all be automated. And once once we got that running, it made my life a lot more fun when we were doing payment runs because I could just hit one button. Yeah, off we go. Done. That's a great answer. <laughs> if there was one part of your day-to-day you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? I think this is impossible, but it would be data quality. I don't like checking that data's right, but we have to check that data's right in finance. So if there was a way to always make sure that the number I was looking at you know, because of human input was always right. I love it because you can trust it and you don't have to spend the time, you know, picking through things if it's a forecast or something, you know. Um, So yeah, it would be if data quality could always be really, really good. I'd love that. (laughs) And the the main culprit is human input. Not, no, not always human. As I mentioned earlier, we had um, all of the integrations with our accounting software dropped out in the middle of the month. And didn't, we didn't get any warning for that for 10 days. So um, we then had to reintegrate everything and it caused duplications or missing things. And, you know, spending the time doing that was horrendous. Um, so it, by no means is it any way just human error. There's there's niggly things that come in as people are learning and things like that. But when, you know, systems have their own have their own uh, motivation to make your life fun at times. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? If it was financial advice, it would be start investing really young because compound interest is brilliant. Um, Not that I'm particularly good at um, investing. Um, But uh, I suppose in general, like business, it would be it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, I, I certainly used to kind of fire things off in a certain tone when I was younger in my career but that wouldn't be through malice it would just be from me desiring to get to the answer quickly whereas now I'm learning you know and have learned over the past sort of five years or so it's Mm. you can get to that answer but you can do it in a very different way um, and you take a lot more people with you yeah that's a nice one which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly um so i've been rewarded with some fantastic bosses in previous roles um and definitely still in touch with them um and then we have uh, you know through through the founders and their networks i've been you know put in touch with some fantastic leaders at other um food and beverage brands that we certainly catch up um 
individually via email or catching up every so often um and then yeah people you you sort of you realize as i mentioned how important your network is when your comfort blanket is taken away mm. so things like um cfo connect really um you you look for the resources that allow you access to the people that you can ask questions to um i suppose finance you have to you can't reveal your cards you have to speak with a veil of sort of confidentiality in a lot of things but when you can talk to people freely about certain systems or um ideas for how you can influence working capital in a certain way it's nice to have um a resource not only through my previous network but something like cfo connect where you can raise those questions um yeah definitely well, you've preempted the final question, which is why did you join CFO Connect for that reason? Yes, it was. It was for that reason. I, I think I was, I was trawling the internet thinking, how can I, do I send out, you know, DMs on LinkedIn and say, hey, I'd love to catch up sometime or something like that, which, which I do do. Um, but, but yeah, something like a CFO Connect was, you know, immediately on my radar. I was like, wow, okay, this is cool. And the fact that it integrates with Slack, which I spend, you know, usually about 50% of the day um, logged into Slack. So just having that touch point that you can go on, see conversations, ask a question and really, you know, have it in real time is, is fab. Yeah. Mm. Very quickly on Slack strategy, the other 50% of the time it is off. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, we actually operate a, um, a, a working day structure. So we earmark the morning to be focus time across the business and the afternoon is collaboration time. So, you know, everyone in the company is licensed to either turn their Slack off in the morning or put, you know, notifications saying, you know, usually a little emoji brain saying I'm focusing, you know, drop me a message and I'll pick it up later. Um, and it's been incredible having that that time that we all work to and respect has been been fab. Yeah, because Slack is very distracting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. It's, I think it knows what it's doing. Yes. Slack. Yeah. Mm. There's little drops of dopamine. You're like, oh, I've got a message. No, ignore it. Ignore it. It's fine. Um, mm. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and then I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but we have certain channels that are, are very exciting, like, you know, new customer signed up. Oh, oh, I want to go see who it is. And then other channels that are not so exciting. But every time you see the notification, mm. you want to check to see, well, is it the, is it the <laughs> yeah. fun one today? Yeah. Yeah. Same. No. Definitely. The, the marketing channel is, is, a, is a surefire way of getting really hyped up. It's wicked seeing everything in there. And I think that's, that's been fantastic, you know, despite COVID, having tools that we can see what's going on um, and not wait for updates. You can see the conversations. You can see what's happening. It's all people still feel very connected, which is really, really important. Yeah. But then I do think it goes back to what you said just before about the way that you communicate messages, because I, I think there is a very clear difference between those people on Slack. You can very easily get messages misinterpreted through Slack yeah. because of the way that people approach mm. communication. Mm, definitely. Um, one tool that we use a lot now, which I absolutely love, is Loom little videos um and i mean there's always a loom that's live somewhere in slack definitely yeah. i love a loom that's what i say quite a lot of the time to my team send it in a loom because it allows you to communicate 
much more freely and you get your tone across you get the information it's a resource to go back to um yeah it's been fantastic the team are wicked at using it yeah but you also avoid the can we jump on a quick chat which is certain people really hate that message i'm one of those people yeah Yeah. (laughs) i get it but i do hate it Mm. (laughs) yes yeah i know it's it's tough but that's the thing when you if you can operate in a in a structure as a company you know have that focus time at certain times in the day or whatever it kind of allows that avoidance or you know when those requests will come at that point in the day so you free up your time to do it um but it does you know uh, moving to that type of model in a big company i think would be very difficult we had the the luxury of being able to do that early doors so yeah it's been fantastic and it's something that i'm sure we're going to continue for the rest of our lives not lives no just working lives there we go <laughs> yeah i think we went down a really fun tangent there um but otherwise uh, rebecca coxall thank you very much for joining us on cfo yeah thank you thank you patrick it's been really fun cfo yeah is brought to you by cfo connect the fastest growing global community for finance leaders join us for webinars and workshops get our expert resources and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.